Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Are you good? Good. Today, the subject is, the subject is integrity in the workplace. Actually, it's also Ephesians. Whoa, so the two series have come together just for today. The two series have met, have coalesced and become one. Today's talk is Ephesians series and the Integrity series. God, double blessing on Mother's Day. Okay, so uh, I've got this out of the newspaper. A police force has been criticised for wasting tens of thousands of pounds on a misconduct case. Wow, more corruption, you might think. Wow, this is really bad news. Against an officer who paid two pounds for biscuits that were stolen by a homeless man. Oh, interesting. PC Martin Rothwell paid for the biscuits last July after police were called to a Poundland store in Chesterfield, Derbyshire. He did not arrest the man and was reported to Derbyshire Police by a store employee. Oh, outrageous. PC Rothwell admitted lying on a report about the incident in which he said the homeless man had found the cash to pay for the biscuits. He admitted his actions amounted to misconduct and gross misconduct and that he could have been dismissed for lying to hide what he'd done. However, however, Nahaid Asjad, the barrister, who was chairwoman of the hearing, said PC Rothwell was a credit to the force and should be given a written warning only, and this does not amount to a cover-up, she said. He told two of his colleagues what he'd done. Integrity in the workplace. Sometimes it's quite difficult to work out, isn't it? What's the best thing to do, don't you think? PC Martin Rothwell paid for the biscuits as a generous act and got clobbered for nine months of interrogations and hearings because he lied about what he'd done to avoid, presumably, getting into trouble. He should have put on the form, the homeless man found two pounds in my hand <laughs> and took them, and I'm not going to press charges on his thieving out of my hand. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Integrity in the workplace. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, you can go there if you like for a minute. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read it in a minute. You know, corruption and difficulties, how we behave in the workplace, sometimes we find it quite difficult to know what to do. Things are not always black and white, are they? When they uh, hit you and you have to make an instant decision or whatever, um, but of course, there's some famous cases recently, haven't there been? In the last couple of years, we've had the MPs' expenses scandal. Moats and chicken coops and 
all sorts of things that we've been paying for out of our tax. Moat cleaning was the famous one, wasn't it? And um, what was it, the Swan House or something, wasn't it? Duck House. Duck house. That's it, the Duck House. So um, the, hit the headlines. National news. Because we don't think we're a very corrupt place. And when you go to um, when you go to a country like Russia, you discover what corruption does to a country. Corruption, that is a lack of integrity in the workplace, is so prevalent in politics and in society generally that the whole country is corrupt. I mean, it just, it just invades everything they do. It's not just when you're stopped by a policeman, the policeman stopped you wanting a bribe. He's not stopped you because you're doing something wrong. So he'll go round the car and he's just waiting for you to give him some money. It's part of his job. He, that's what he views as his right. Not all Russians are like that. I'm going to have up here now image number one, please. Ta-da! An image, yes. Oh, I can't see it very well. The guy, the guy standing there, can you see him in his bobble hat? This is Yuri. Yuri in his bobble hat and his fleecy coat. Because he's standing in the church building that they're building. They've got this plot of land and they've built on it. And here he is, surrounded by stuff. Look at all that stuff. Costs quite a lot of money, that stuff. It's electrical equipment. The, um, the orange stuff, I think, is, is uh, conduit anyway. It's all sorts of kit that they bought with the money that I gave him when I went last on the trip from the church. And when we gave him the money, we said, please, Yuri, will you give us some indication for our auditors that you've spent it on the right things? You know, we don't want you to spend it on lunches for Yuri and your family. Though that would be nice for you. But we've given it so that you spend it on equipment for the building that you're doing. So the second image. Ta-da. Oh, look, receipts. In fact, I have larger images of each of those receipts so that we can read them. They say, 5,000 rubles. 25,000 rubles. So it's no good to me at all, really. I mean, it could be holidays, for all I know. But that is, that is a man who has heard me and done something about it immediately. I'm really impressed with Yuri. Aren't you? He's a Russian. Well, actually, I think he's Armenian. Um, anyway, um, that's, that's the result of that. So your money has gone towards... One of our gifts has been to help this, uh, this church build their building. And uh, it's a lovely building. Made of bricks. Right, in Paul's day, the economy was very corrupt. 
Society was very corrupt. Bribes, etc., were as common as they are in Russia today. The economy was also built on slavery. Every family had slaves. Everything that was done, really, was done by slaves. Slavery was endemic. The whole structure of the economy depended on this free labour called slaves. Some slaves were treated quite well. Quite a lot of slaves were treated quite well. Quite a lot of slaves were treated as members of the family. Others were treated badly and there was the complete range. You could be virtually a member of the family and virtually the same as a son in the family or you could be someone who was beaten daily and falsely accused and then executed. All within the range of what it was like to live in the Roman Empire. 1 Peter 2 says... 1 Peter 2, <clears throat> verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. And so Peter is acknowledging there are good and gentle masters and there are unjust masters, but hey, you slaves in the congregation that he's talking to, please be gracious to both. Tough call, eh? Be gracious to both. Tough call when you've got an unjust master and the person sitting next to you singing hymns of praise to the Lord has a lovely master who pays for his holidays. <coughs> who, who could call that an equality? And so we're going to investigate this a bit more. So back in Ephesians and... Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You know, to become a Christian in this world was an incredibly radical thing for your life. There was nothing like it. Nothing anywhere in their society compared to the impact of becoming a Christian. Because you would come into a congregation like this and sit next to be around, be fellowshipping as an equal with people who in the society, when you walked out the door, had every authority to have you executed, unjustly or justly. They had every power over you. You were completely subservient. 
And so to become a Christian was to be added into this extraordinary community of people struggling to realize and to put into practice what this equality in Christ really meant for them. There's an equality between people. All one in Christ Jesus. Paul says to the Galatians, there's neither slave nor free. There's been such a focus on neither male nor female, we've forgotten that bit. Neither slave nor free. Everybody is the same before Christ. It doesn't matter what social background you come from, and the same is true today. It doesn't matter what social background you come from. It doesn't matter what educational attainment you have. It doesn't matter. Hmm. It's good, eh? It doesn't matter. We're all one before Christ Jesus. We are loved equally. There is no partiality with God. You and I are the same before God. Doesn't matter what our attainments in this world are. <clears throat> Doesn't matter what our society position is. Doesn't matter what your birthright was. It doesn't matter that you were not born Lord somebody or other or lady somebody. doesn't matter if you didn't have the upbringing you would have liked to have had. When you come into the community of the king, we are the same. It's pretty radical today, isn't it? In Paul's day, it was amazing. If you want to be amazed in Paul's day, you'll go into a, into a church, into one of these new communities of people. These people are called Christians who put slaves next to masters at the communion table. What? Who had black next to white. Who had the lowest of the low. The untouchables. Touching the highest of the high. What a community. Are you still thrilled with your community? Are you still thrilled with that implication? Are you, do you ever think about it? Because here is the start, here is the base of integrity. Integrity amongst us. So that when we go out into the world, we're used to thinking in a different way. Because we are a different society. We're a different society mixing with the society we used to be identified with. But now we're not identified with that society. We've been taken from the king, that kingdom and put into the kingdom of God. We have moved irrevocably, irreversibly from one group of people to another. Sure, these intermingle in your family, in your friends, in your workplace. <clears throat> But we have the distinctive of the Holy Spirit saying each one has a value and a place before God. Can't emphasize it enough. Can't express this enough. This, this society, this Roman society, was similar to ours in many ways. 
more overtly corrupt, maybe. More explicitly cruel sometimes, yes. But the value systems were the same. And the clash of cultures is the same today. And so when we start to consider this and put employee into the scripture instead of slave and employer instead of master, it's still the same principles that hold. It's still the same society. It's still the kingdom of God. It's still a place here where you are welcome, whoever you are. It's still a place here where no one says that you are despicable, unwanted, unloved, to be trodden down on. Neither is this a place here where you can stand and say, but I'm a master. People serve me. No. You serve. We all serve. We serve one another. I stand here and preach. You might think, wow, that's great. I'm serving you. That's my role. It's to serve you with this. With this I hope today I'm serving you. To enable you to live more as Christ would want you to live. And so, uh, there's an attitude to your work that comes out here in these verses. I don't know if you noticed this. Verse 5, it says, As you would Christ, with a sincere heart. Verse 6, As servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, As to the Lord, with good will. Do you notice what's going on here? As you would Christ. What's going on here? I do my work as if my employer was Jesus Christ. You ever thought about that? When you trudge in, you know, on a Monday morning, you know, and the, the train's late and the tube on the northern line's gone haywire, you know, and you just, and you just think, oh, for goodness sake. And you get into work and there's trouble on the emails, you know, and you can't get up what you want to get up and... It's all going wrong, and then the boss comes in and says, why haven't you done that? And you think, because I'm too busy, you stupid so-and-so. You think, can't you see what's on my desk? Look, 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 look. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get it to you as soon as possible. Stupid boy. No. Jesus Christ walked into your office and said, sort this. He didn't really. But he stood with you and he stands with you and he says, do your work as to me. It's great. Do you know why it's great? It divorces you from the... It takes you away from all that... Did you know that? Because in his love and his grace, he can strengthen you and encourage you and say, well done, 
You didn't lose it with the tube. You didn't lose it when you got off the train. You didn't lose it when you were pressed. But you serve with grace. Are you doing the will of God from the heart? See, verse, verse 6, doing the will of God. Verse 5 was a sincere heart, a sincere heart. So you do, you, you're being truthful to yourself. You're being truthful to who you really are, which is a child of Christ, a child of God, a brother of Christ. That's who you really are. So you're, when you're in work, that's who you are. Did you know that? I mean, I know you know that here, but when you toddle off to work, did you know that you toddle off with Jesus? Did you know that the Holy Spirit comes with you into your workplace? Were you aware of that? That you are not some sort of schizophrenic person who when they're in Sunday meeting is all godly and when they're not in Sunday meeting seem to have lost God somewhere. Where did he go? He's right with you, folks, every moment of every day. So to, to serve your employer with a sincere heart is to serve honestly with integrity because you are who you are. And you are serving round the back to Jesus Christ. Your employer can't necessarily see that, but you can. Behind him is Jesus Christ. And verse 6 says, doing the will of God from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart. Does this, so does this phrase mean I've got to, you know, discern the will of God over whether 5 plus 5 equals 10? Does it? I mean, not 5 plus 5 equals 10, but does it, does it mean that? No, I don't think so. Did you know that not only is your every breath you take coming from the Father, but every job you have comes from the Father? Do you look at your employment as something that you stumbled into or is it something that God promoted you into? It doesn't matter what it is, your job. You know, Ray makes sandwiches on the industrial estate near us. He makes sandwiches all day, well, all night. Sound like a great job? It was God's opening for him. It is a job for him when he was unemployed and probably was starting to feel unemployable. God opened a door. God gave him a job. How do you feel about your job? Maybe you even prayed before you sent off the application. <coughs> Maybe you even thought about it in terms of, is this God's will for me? Maybe you did those things. But now, you know, six months, six years on, do you still think like that? Or has it ground you down? 
Are you serving the Lord because it was his will to put you there in that job? Verse 7, as to the Lord with goodwill. This is one of the hardest, isn't it? With goodwill. <laughs> when you're being unjustly treated, to respond with goodwill. It's one of the hardest things. You're probably right now thinking of situations where you were unjustly treated. I can tell you that Darren's been unjustly treated in his job, but he responded with goodwill. Isn't it hard? But it's, in, it's, it's part of our integrity to do so. Because there are two reasons. One, first one is verse 6, not eye service as people pleasers. You see, we don't evaluate how we respond in a work situation by how other people will see it because we're not people pleasers, are we? We respond in a way that pleases him, in a way that pleases our Lord and Saviour, in a way that is full of integrity and grace and goodwill. Let me remind you that some of the people that Paul was talking to when they arrived at the meeting, probably had bruises and batterings from the beatings that they'd had during the week. See, sometimes we look at these scriptures and we look at these indications and we say, oh yeah, but you don't know my situation. Oh yeah, but there's no one here who's been in that situation. There's no one here who's been treated as unjustly and as badly and as brutally as maybe some of the people listening to this letter to the Ephesians had been. So don't say, oh yes, but you don't know my situation. No, I don't know your situation, but God does. That's why you're doing it to him. And so these guys were going back to be beaten again the following week what, as doormats? No, because they had no option. And they needed the strength and the encouragement that comes from knowing that God knows, which is the second point. God knows. The motivation is knowing, verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. Knowing that, There is a response. The Lord will respond. There's a receiving back from the Lord. Justice is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Gosh. Let's call some fire down from heaven then, shall we? Let's call some fire down from heaven. Let's explode a few managers. Yeah. 
There's one in particular I don't like. I think really, yeah. No, no, no. We leave it to the Lord to sort it out. Cry out to him and say, yeah, I've been treated unjustly. Cry out to him and say, Lord, will you take this on board, please? And Holy Spirit, empower me to respond the right way. To please Christ. Your motivation for work is that you will receive back from the Lord and there's no partiality with God. That's why it's slave or free. Because a slave could look at a free man and say, whoa, you don't have my troubles. There's a spiritual about that. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows, but... Do you not know this song, you guys? Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. Sometimes things can be so frustrating, though, can't they? So frustrating. Do you ever get frustrated at work? Many years ago, I had this student job. When I was a student, I had this job. Now, in Woolwich, near where I lived, there's a motorcycle factory. Do you remember we used to make motorcycles? In fact, they were world famous. Norton. Yes, Norton Motorcycle Factory in Woolwich. I got this job. And what the job was, was that I had to sit by this hot tub of molten plastic. And people would bring in little wooden trays with, with holes in, and stacked in these holes were the machine tools used on the lathes, okay? And they'd bring them in off the lathes, and they'd be collected up in the workshop, put on this little tray and bring them in, and put in front of me, padong. And so there's this row of machine tools. I had to take them one at a time and dip them in this hot plastic and put them on another tray similar to cool off and go hard so that the edge of the tool was protected by the plastic, see? So I started this job and the guy told me what I had to do. And I said, okay, because, you know, it's a student job, so anything will do. So you take the tool, you dip it in the plastic, you put it in the tray. You take the next tool, you dip it in the plastic, you put it in the tray. You take the next tool, you dip it in the plastic, you put it in the tray. And I'd finished. I said, okay, done that, what's next? And the guy looks at me and says, you've done it already? You can't work that fast? What are you doing? You'll have the whole factory out on strike. Slow down. Really? I'm going quite slowly. It's slower. So I got into this habit of singing little tunes, you know. Take the, take the tool, hold it up to the light. <laughs> 
in an attempt to slow me down. I was still going too fast. Guys, it's slower. We can't give these trays of dried tools to the store man this quick. The store man won't handle it this quick. And, you know, I had to zip my tongue because the store man was reading the sun or something like that, you know? He, the store man was doing nothing, basically. But in those days, in those days, these situations were everywhere in British industry. I had to go slower and slower. I got more and more frustrated. And he said to me, you want to watch out, the man with a clipboard will be around. If I see you going that fast when the man with the clipboard is coming around, I'll be shouting at you. Fortunately, the man with the clipboard never came round. The time and motion man. But predictably, Norton went bust. Predictably, Norton machines were too expensive to be sold. Predictably, these guys lost their jobs. Predictably. I was so seething inside. At the short-sighted, incredible short-sightedness of these people who couldn't see that by behaving like this, they were going to lose their jobs. But you had to learn to be gracious. Had to learn lots of lessons. I was young and passionate, you know, man the barricades, you know. I was young and passionate and I, I was frustrated. And I had to learn patience. Patience over the job, patience with my boss, patience and grace. To be a man of integrity rather than a rabble rouser. Secular attitudes are often them and us. You know, they have all the rights and we have all the problems. Them and us. Do you have that in your workplace? Are you caught up in that sometimes? Them and us. See, what Paul is saying here in Ephesians is, if you see Jesus behind that employer, if you see that you're working to the Lord and for the Lord, if you see that, it takes all this frustration out of it. It takes the them and us out of it. Because it's not them and us, it's just us, the Lord and me. Do you understand that? This is what God is calling you to in your workplace. Now, of course, there's situations in which you will need to make decisions, there's situations in which you need to express your opinion. There are all sorts of situations, but have this in mind at all times that Jesus is with me through the Spirit and will guide my mouth and my tongue and will guide my attitudes and my heart. And I want to be guided by the Lord and not by the pressures of my workplace 
or the society in which we live. Have you got that? There's all sorts of things that go on in the them and us. You know, you feel the entire people feel entitled or feel it's okay. I don't know why I've got this illustration, and I don't know if it's still true, but in my day, in student rooms, student rooms were often decorated with things like bollards. Have you, you do, is your student rooms like that these days? Or uh, decorated with bollards or traffic cones or something like that, you know? And you go into someone's room and plastered across the, the wall would be, um, I don't know, flamingo close. And, you know, you tap it and it really was, boom, boom, you know, metal. It really had been unscrewed from the posts and sneaked away by night and brought into a student room where it would sit forever. Was a student room still like that? Do people do that sort of thing? No? Some people. Mm. Beer mats, collected collections of beer mats, yeah? We say it's all right, you know, they, they put it in the budget, pilfering of beer mats. It's okay, everyone does it. Everyone has a collection of beer mats, don't they? I've got a collection of pens here. I fished these out of our house. I want you to know that none of these pens have been pilfered but they've all been free gifts these days. In the old days, they used to be pilfered, yeah? In the old days, you used to find students in particular. Well, I'm most fixated on students. You'd, you'd find people with, you know, pens from all sorts of places, borrows from all sorts of places. This one is Parent Line Plus. Parent Line Plus, oh, what on earth were we doing when we got this one? Erwin Mitchell. Dot com. Paper blanks. Paper blanks. Did we buy that? I hope we did. Maybe it was a freebie. University of Hertfordshire. Arts. Arts and galleries. Lizzie, did you give this to me? Oh, Bjarna and Hannah, 8th of October 2011. That was definitely a freebie. <laughs> www.villagehotels.co.uk. Wonder where we went for that. Hmm. And the last one. Oh, Devere.co.uk. Well, we know what we were doing when we went to Devere. Isn't that interesting? You know, years ago, Christians used to make a big thing, big legalistic thing about thou shalt not steal thy employer's paper or pens or anything like that. What is it today? Because I'm a bit out of touch now. In those days, we used to do things like write. Do you remember? <laughs> paper, pen. 
I was so pleased with the West Wing when Toby, the speechwriter, always writes the speech rather than type it. Good man. So our attitudes then. We know God rewards us. We know we need to be people of integrity. And sometimes God will surprise us with a little test. God surprised me with a little test yesterday. So I've been preparing this during the week. Isn't it funny how God does these things? I've been preparing this talk in the week and it had occurred to me that for all of you guys in sector employment, listening to me talk to you about these things, you might think, well, what does David know? Well, I used to know, okay, and I don't think people's hearts and minds have changed much in sector employment. Well, they might have changed in all sorts of ways, but not in this way. So God set me a little test. I didn't know it was coming. So yesterday, I, my, my water butt at home, the water butt base had collapsed. The plastic had gone brittle and hard and the water butt base just, had just snapped. We never heard it. The water butt crashed into the side of the shed and uh, there, it, there it lay until we next went past it. Oh, the water butt has fallen over. So I had to replace the base. And in replacing the base, of course, it was a different size to the old base. You can't get that size anymore, sir. No, you have to have this size now. So I have to change not just the base, but where the pipe comes into it from the downpipe from the roof. Are you with me? Oh, good. So off I go to B&Q to get my bits. And I'm thinking, now I'm going to saw it there and I'm going to have to, I have to have... Uh, the connector, new connector, and I'll have to have... Anyway, I finished up with my new connector, my new bit of pipe, and uh, some connectors, two connectors, for putting in the old pipe. Okay, to connect it to the new bits, yeah? Two connectors. I thought I'd probably get away with one, but I'll buy two. So I went to the checkout, and the stuff goes through, and as I'm about to pay for it, I see that these two connectors have come together. So one slid into the other. And where they put the barcode was on the bit that slid in. And of course the girl on the tool had no idea what these bits were. So she thought that was one thing because it was stuck together. And so she took one price for one connector not realising that what she was holding was two connectors and as it rolled down to my packing area I looked at it and I thought oh I bet she's missed that second one and there is a moment in my head where I say, never mind, it's all tilled up now and I'm just about to put my card in. And it's not much. Isn't it funny how God does these things to you? 
test. And I thought, Lord, I'm sorry that's so bad to even think that. So I said to her, did you ring up two of these or just one? And she looked at it and she, I pulled it apart and she said, oh, sorry, just the one. Uh, what should I do? Um, and immediately, you know, the complete chaos of the tool system then erupts and eventually we got the second one paid for as well. Sorry, she said. Thank you, might have been a better response. <laughs> God tested me. Do you get a test like that at work? We know God wants us to be people of integrity at work. And I just want to finish with this. We are liberated from men-pleasing. This scripture says we're not eye-pleasers. We're not men-pleasers. We are liberated from that. Don't view integrity at work as a chain or a, a, a lock-in or an unfair advantage. Don't do that. View it this way. I am liberated to serve the Lord. I am liberated from men-pleasing to serve Jesus Christ. And mundane tasks of taking one tool and dipping it in the plastic and putting it in the tray and take mundane tasks that you can do in your sleep are elevated to be performed before the Lord himself. who watches you do it with a smile and empowers you to elevate it into worship of him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in giving us jobs. Thank you, Lord, for that. For those who are unemployed, we pray now, God, Give them something. Open doors for them, as you did for Ray. For those who are unjustly dealt with at work right now, <clears throat> we pray for grace. To stay in integrity, to stay true to their faith, to hear the Holy Spirit telling them what to say and when to say it. God, give us liberty to serve you at work. May we, may we find that we are unconstrained in our joy of serving you through our work. And Lord, enable us to elevate. Every job has its mundaneness. Some part of it is mundane. Lord, help us to elevate that to serving you as well. That you may take all the honour. In Jesus' name. Amen.